Well, welcome to the JAR. My name's Chris, and I'm the senior pastor here. We're glad that you're here. And if you have kids that are in that age group, I just want to strongly encourage you to make it a priority to be here next week, both as parents and with your kids, to make sure that um, you can experience uh, that uh, time of knowing how to make Jesus their idol rather than anything else. And believe me, we live in a world where uh, there are many idols that are out there. Well, this morning, I want to talk about the subject, God is closer than you think. Um, you know, when someone tells you that they're going on a road trip, uh, they typically uh, have different thoughts that are going on in their mind of what a road trip means. I mean, a road trip is very different from a vacation. I mean, on a vacation, you typically plan things out. You have an agenda, you have an idea of where you're going, what you're going to do, sites that you're going to see, and ways that you're going to enjoy that time. But on a road trip, it's much more impulsive. It's one of those things where you're just kind of like, hey, let's go see this person, or let's go see this thing, or let's go see this city. Well, a year after my wife Jennifer and I were married, uh, we had been at a conference in Long Beach, California, and we stayed on a week after that uh, for a vacation. But while we were there, I decided one Sunday afternoon that we needed to just go on a road trip. And so we headed from uh, Long Beach to the Mojave Desert. Now, that doesn't sound like very exciting, does it? But it gets better, believe me. Well, we get on the road, and we're on uh, 15 that heads to uh, Vegas, but it's heading to the Mojave Desert. And uh, we wanted to see the tallest uh, thermometer in the world. It doesn't take much for Jennifer and I to get excited. And uh, we're heading that way. And uh, we notice that we get to the place, and we get ready to get back on the interstate to come back to Long Beach, but the traffic is piled up down the way. And uh, coming back, you know, towards California, and we're like, well, we can either sit in traffic or we can just keep driving. So we kept driving. And pretty soon, we saw a sign that looked like this. Las Vegas, 116 miles. And both of us at that time looked at each other, and I said to Jennifer, let's go for it, you know. And she, I'll never forget this, we were in a Cavalier she took the side of the seat, went straight back, and fell asleep for the next hour and a half. She wanted nothing to do with the road trip. Well, we kept going and going and going, and then all of a sudden I saw another thing that I thought would be awesome. Here's the sign. Hoover Dam, next exit. And I'm thinking, Hoover Dam! Like, we've got to go there! So I wake her up and I go, Jennifer, let's go to Hoover Dam! And she's like, Chris, absolutely, positively not. We are not going to Hoover Dam. I was like, no, we've got to go to Hoover Dam. And she's like, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. And she stayed awake. It was better when she was asleep, I'll tell you, you know. <laughs> and we kept going. And uh, little did I know that on the map, Hoover Dam was only that far. Hoover Dam 
from Interstate 15 was 15 miles, and it was, you know, curvy and swervy and everything that you could imagine. And Jennifer even got car sick halfway there. So three major fights later, we arrived. I wondered if you would catch that. We arrived, and uh, there we got to Hoover Dam, and this is what I thought we were going to see. Okay? This is what we saw. Nothing. You know why? It was pitch black. There was nothing whatsoever to see. We had just spent almost two hours, two and a half hours, trying to get there, and the road trip was a bust. And in many ways, it was not a very helpful kind of first-year marriage vacation whatsoever. Now, I share this story with you to tell you this. Today, each of you are on a road trip. You're either on a trip towards God, or you're on a trip away from God. And even if you're on a road trip towards God, and you're trying to connect with Him, the frequency in which you are reaching out to Him varies greatly. Now, many of us feel like at times in our life that God is a million miles away. That He's in another solar system. That He's in another galaxy. And that He has little time to spend with us. And all of us have felt like that before, haven't we? When you just feel like, as you pray, as you connect with God, He's just nowhere to be found. I mean, how many of you have ever, you know, actually seen God? I didn't think so. How many of you have ever touched God? I didn't think so. So it becomes one of those things that becomes very difficult. I mean, I've committed my life to the fact that the Christian God is a close, personal, intimate God. But the reality is, I don't experience Him that way all the time. Many times, God feels very distant. He feels very away from me. It's just way too simplistic to say that God is always there. I feel His presence every single time. He's always, you know, right there. No, sometimes we feel like God isn't very close to us. So how do we experience God? Well, I think first of all, if we're going to be totally honest with ourselves, we'd have to say that first of all, that God sometimes feels distant. God sometimes feels distant. I mean, I don't know about you, but sometimes when I'm going through stuff, I just wish that God would show Himself a little bit more plainly and clearly. I mean, maybe every once in a while, He could just pop out of the clouds and like part, you know, Lake Michigan or something like that. You know, at least like Prairie Creek Reservoir. You know what I mean? People, you do that and all of a sudden people would be like, ah, God, God's around. You know, just something that He could do that I could see it for myself. I mean, even the Bible talks about these people that had these supernatural experiences where they're connecting with God in these huge ways. But many times in my life, God seems invisible and unreachable and many times inaudible. I don't even feel anything. I don't hear anything. And connecting with Him sometimes can be very difficult. My experience of connecting with God often is like the question, where is Waldo? Any of you ever read, where is Waldo? Look at him for a second. 
That was me 10 years ago, okay? (laughs) Waldo is this geeky-looking guy who was created by an illustrator named Martin Hanford. And he wrote these children's books. In fact, uh, over 40 million books he's written uh, that have been published, at least. And um, the whole point is, where is Waldo? And it's been published in over 28 different countries. And the focus of each and every one of these books is that you, it, the kids try to find where Waldo is at on the page. I mean, the main point of it is to try and find Waldo. And if you've ever read one of these books before, when you first start to read it, you can find Waldo really easy. On page 1 and 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. But before long, Waldo gets more difficult to find. And by the time that you get to the end of the book, it's almost impossible to find him. I mean, kids love it early on in the book because they can find Waldo easily. But as it gets to the end, it becomes much more difficult. Sometimes it takes a long time to find Waldo. Sometimes it takes a tremendous amount of patience to find him in the midst of everything. Some people really enjoy taking their time to find this, and sometimes people just give up immediately, real quick. And in my search for God sometimes, it's kind of like, where is Waldo? Because God seems distant. And so the question becomes, well, why? Why does he feel distant sometimes? Well, first of all, we like immediate answers. We want answers right now. Most of us live a life in which we want immediate responses to what's going on. For instance, if there is something wrong with our car, we want to know what is wrong with it now. If we're sick or if someone in our family is sick, we want the diagnosis now. If your spouse is angry with you, and you want to know why, you want to, want, you want to know now. And if your kids are crying and carrying on, you really don't care. No. Even then, you want to know why now. And God, and God sometimes, He answers questions in the now. We ask Him for something, and He immediately responds to us, And we get a sense that God is in control, and especially when he answers yes. Other times, we ask or we seek something out, and the answer is no. And usually when God says no, it's because it's a wrong request. Requests that are self-serving, or materialistic, or short-sighted, or immature. He will still answer the request, he just answers it with no. It's kind of like with kids coming pretty soon. Christmas will come, and they will want the biggest thing that's in the catalog. And what are you going to tell them? No! This is what you get, you know? And sometimes that's the way it is with God. It's not a right request. I think many of us, we think that God should answer all of our prayers all the time. And He does. But sometimes it's yes. And sometimes it's no. And I don't know about you, but I'm really grateful that there have been times in my life in which God has actually answered my prayers, no. I mean, have you ever experienced that before? I think about the 
the girl I was dating in college, and if I would have married her, what my life would have been like. And I'm so glad that God said no, and that Jennifer came into my life and things were great. I hear that often from people who say, man, if I would have married my high school sweetheart, or if I would have married the person in college, or if I would have married the neighbor, you know, it would have just been horrible. That person's in jail now. They've been divorced 20 times. You know, they're clueless. They have all this pain that they cause for other people. You see, God loves us too much to always respond yes, because sometimes the request is best to have been said no. Now, most of the time, just like with kids, we're okay if God says yes or God says no, but the thing that we struggle with the most is when God says wait or not yet. Wait, not yet. I mean, we live in an instant society. Everything is getting faster and faster all the time. We have express lanes, one-hour photos, computers with a billion gigabytes, whatever that is. We have texting and tweeting and tooting and totting. I don't know what all they are, but there's all these T's, you know, that you get real fast. And if you have to wait five seconds for almost anything, you're done. You're ready to walk away from it. We want an upgrade if our computer's not very fast. And this explains why people often, often will come up to me and they go, I just don't understand it, Chris. I'll be like, well, why don't you understand? And they'll say, well, I've been praying for three days about this thing and nothing's come yet. Three days? Wow, only three. We're often like little children, you know, who you go on a vacation with, and it's a 500-mile vacation. You get in the car, you get 15 miles down the road, and all of a sudden you hear from the back seat this yell and scream that says what? Yeah. Man, you guys are awake this morning. I was was afraid the turkey was going to, like, keep you asleep, you know. Yeah, are we there yet? And folks, children hate to hear the words, not yet, or wait. And adults are the exact same way. In fact, there is an impatient child in every single one of us. A child who wants God to meet every need, grant every request, move every mountain. And when we're not answered immediately, we really struggle with that. We often feel like God is distant. Yet the Bible says this, we waited for him and he showed up. We waited for him and he showed up. Let me say this, folks. God always shows up. He shows up every single time you call on him. But sometimes, in the midst of whatever we're seeking him for, he may just say, wait. And why does God do that? Why would a loving, caring God, why would he say, wait? Why does he desire for us sometimes to wait? Well, God delays sometimes in order to test our faith. Does our faith get stronger if we're able to wait? Sometimes he delays so that we can modify our request. That our request might be, you know, if you're a single uh, female, you know, I want, I don't even know who's out there, so forget that illustration. Let's go on. Somebody hot, and then you, you know, you find to say, I'll take anything. You know, I mean, I don't know. But anyways, sometimes God delays so that we can 
kind of modify our request. Also, sometimes God delays so we can have character building. God wants your character to grow. He wants you to be maybe more patient, more kind, to have more endurance. You see, all of us want immediate answers. But sometimes the best answer that God can give us is wait. So if God feels distant, because it's, it's often because we want immediate answers rather than waiting. Another reason why uh, God sometimes feels distance is because we like to hide. We like to hide. Sometimes we don't feel much of God's presence in our lives. You just read the Bible, maybe you pray, whatever you do, but you just don't feel very connected to Him. And the reality is there isn't much of a mystery to that. Sometimes we simply just don't want God around. It's the truth. We don't want Him around our lives. One of my best friends growing up was Johnny Williams. Johnny was the tallest friend that I had growing up. Later on, uh, he grew to be six foot six. He was a really good basketball player, and he played at Moorhead State uh, University down in Kentucky. And one day, uh, Johnny and I were in my backyard, and uh, the backyard that we lived in was five acres, so it was a big backyard. And uh, he was good at basketball and football, baseball, anything he did, he was really good. But he had never played golf before. And I was like, now you're going down, you know. So we're outside and we're hitting the ball. And he was horrible. I mean, just absolutely horrible. And I kept thinking, man, this is my time. Now, my mom told us, whatever you do, just don't swing, you know, towards the house. Don't hit balls towards the house. So we kept walking, 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 about 250, you know, yards out. And Johnny was swinging away and duffing things and hitting right and left and you know, we're still swinging away from the house at this point. And I'm like, let's not walk anymore. You can't hit it any further. So let's just turn around. And uh, we got ready to start hitting towards the house. And he said, no way, man. Your mom told us we should not hit towards the house. I go, Johnny, you haven't hit it longer than 15 yards, okay? You know? And uh, he had never played before. I'm like, you're, you're not going to do anything. I was like, here, take this driver. We'll just kind of figure out how far you can hit it, and then, uh, you know, we'll deal with it from there. And so he gets up there, and like, I'd never seen him swing the whole day like he swung this time. It was like Tiger Woods. You know, you ever play the, the video game? Boom! You know, and it comes on, big old deal kind of happening there. And the ball starts going. And we're like, we'd never really golfed before, but we're all like, Go! Go right! Go left! Just go away from the house, you know? And we're trying to move this ball with our body, and all of a sudden we hear this, bam! Crash right through the kitchen window. Now at this time we had a choice. We could either be responsible, walk up to the house, say we're sorry, or we could hide. Now, I was a PK, a preacher's kid. Johnny was a PK, a preacher's kid. And being two Christian good boys like we were, guess what we did? Yeah, yeah exactly. 
Man, we weren't going to get caught. You know, we were going to say, this, this was the thing. We weren't going to get caught, and we didn't want to be seen. So this was our excuse. I must have been a bird. Not very bright when you're ten, I'll tell you. Well, folks, we didn't want to get caught. We didn't want to be seen. And any time that you choose to do something wrong, or you choose not to do the right thing, do you know what you're doing? You're hiding. And you choose hiddenness. And attached to your hiddenness and to mine may be the most common, the quietest, the least acknowledged prayer, but it is a prayer that we pray from our hearts, from our souls, maybe not even consciously, but subconsciously we pray, don't look at it, God. Don't look at me, God. Don't look here, God. In fact, it was the first prayer that human beings ever prayed. In the story of Adam and Eve, after they had eaten the fruit, God is walking in the garden and He comes to them and He says, Where are you? And Adam answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid, so I hid. And ever since then, human beings have been hiding from God, saying, Don't look at me, God. A mom with an anger problem decides to rip on her kids because she's so frustrated. And the reality is, it gives her a little bit of pleasure in doing this. But just before she does it, she says a little prayer. Don't look at me, God. A guy who struggles with alcohol, he stops for a while, but then a friend comes up to him and says, man, we're going down to the bar, it's all on me, let's go. And he takes a drink, but just before he does at the bar, he says a little prayer. Don't look at me, God. A salesman pads his expense account. A factory worker deliberately lies about a co-worker. A student looks at another person's paper when they're taking a test. A person who attends church has this juicy gossip that they love to spread about someone else. But first, before they do it, within their soul, within their heart, they they are praying to themselves, don't look at me, God. We don't say it loud. We never admit it. But deep down, it is often the choice that we make of our own heart, of my heart and your heart too. And when we choose to hide, we choose for God to be distant. God would rather so much before we get to that prayer that we would just go to Him and say exactly what we're thinking. Doesn't matter how ugly it is. Warts and all, he'll take. But often the temptation is so great to hide, and God feels distant. You know, one of God's greatest desires is to be known by you. Not just that you know God, but that you are intimately known by God. And he wants to be known by you. He wants you to know Him deeply. Not just a surface friend, not just an acquaintance, but the kind of person who you go deep with. Not in a way that overwhelms you or freaks you out, but in a way in which you choose never to hide. Because the reality is this, folks. There is nothing you can do to make God love you less, and there's nothing you can do to make God love you more. The Bible says this, 
And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. I don't know if you knew this or not, but God's DNA is love. His nature is to love. And when we feel distant from God, it's not because God has moved away, but we have moved away. If God feels distant, it's not because He's moved, but we've moved. And we have distanced ourselves from Him, and it's often because of those two things I said. Because we want immediate answers. We're impatient. And then secondly, we want to hide. Well, here's another thought. God always is present. God may feel like He's distant sometimes, but the reality is God is always present. Out of anyone in the world, you know who the worst person is at hiding? It's God. God is just horrible at that. I mean, if God were playing the game hide-and-go-seek, He'd be really, really good. He'd be the best person ever at seeking other people. There's no one in history who has sought after people as well as God. But he'd be horrible when it comes to hiding. He just, that's one thing you can say God's not very smart in. He's not smart at hiding. He's not. He doesn't hide from people. My two-year-old daughter, uh, Jordan, and I, just in the last couple of months, she's finally kind of figured out this whole concept of hide-and-go-seek. But she is the one that likes to hide. She doesn't like to be the one, maybe because she can't count to ten yet. And I've told her she can't do that until she counts to ten. I'm not that mean. Come on, laugh a little bit, all right? And this is the way we do it. I I used to just close my eyes and she said, Daddy, put your hands over your eyes. So I put my hands over my eyes and I count to ten. And then when I get to ten, I go, ready or not, here I come. And no more than when I pull my hands away from my eyes, Jordan darts out from a door, or she jumps under, or out, out from underneath the table, or around the curtain, and she runs every single time and says, Daddy, I'm here! You see, the reality is, Jordan likes to be found more than she likes to hide. And God is the same way. The Bible says this. In fact, God says this in the Bible, in Jeremiah 29. If you look for me in earnest, you will find me when you seek me. I will be found by you. In other words, if you seek God with all of your heart, you will find Him. Folks, the reality is, God is always present. He always wants to be found. He never wants to hide. But the question becomes, how do we know that? How do we know that God is present? Well, first of all, we know that God is present because of His creation. He shows us His presence in creation. He shows us His presence in creation. The Bible says this, For the truth about God is known to people instinctively. God has put this knowledge in their hearts, From the time the world was created, people have seen the earth and the sky and all that God made. They can clearly see His invisible qualities, His eternal power and His divine nature. So they have no excuse whatsoever for not knowing God. 
God has revealed himself in creation. In fact, in the songbook of the Bible, Psalms, if you turned halfway to in the middle of your Bible, what you would find is this scripture verse that says this. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth declares his handiwork. And isn't that true? You only have to step outside these doors and you begin to recognize that there is a creator, there is a God. You look at the beautiful sunset, you look at the trees, you look at the ocean, you look at the stars, the moon, and they all speak of God. And science is this exploration of the way in which God has revealed himself to the rest of the world. That's why I don't see conflict between science and faith. Rather, they complement one another and they simply prove the presence of God. A few years ago, I was uh, having some trouble trying to get our staff to understand the importance of keeping details and keeping focused on them. And I was really struggling because I knew that if we didn't do this, we, we wouldn't be able to fulfill what God had called the jar to be. And on the morning that I was getting ready to go confront the staff, I was on Jackson Street, and I was going to the office, which our office used to be right off of Maine. And uh, Jackson Street is a really, really busy street. And uh, my mind was spinning, you know, what am I going to say? How am I going to say it? How can I get the point across so that they'll know the importance of detail and sticking to that without, you know, getting upset or, or whatever? And, and in the midst of all this, I'm like, why? Why can't they just get it? And why, God, are you not listening to me? Why aren't you present to help? And I'm driving the car when all of a sudden... I look in front and I see something moving in front of me. I'm not sure what it is. And as I get closer, all of a sudden I see a duck and seven ducklings right behind it. And all these cars on Jackson Street are swerving around trying to avoid this duck and these little ducklings. And it was one of those moments where I had a lot of mercy for ducks, not people like my staff, but I had a lot of mercy for ducks. So I turned the car around, and I headed back for the ducks. And I get close, and I don't know if it's a mama duck or a daddy duck, but they get to the curb, and the mama duck jumps on, uh, you know, over the curb, keeps walking, and these little baby ducklings get to the edge of the curb, and they're like trying to jump, but they can't jump to get over it. And I'm like, something's got to change. And I get out of the car. And I'll admit, I was a little freaked out that ducks were going to attack me, okay? But I get out of the car anyways, and I start walking toward them, and all of a sudden, the mama duck, or daddy duck, whatever it was, turns around and starts heading towards the little baby duck. So I just stop, and I'm thinking, oh, what's going to happen now? And the mama duck took all seven and kind of helped them go around the curve, and then they headed down the street, towards the White River. And in the midst of all of that, I'm sitting there thinking about, wow, God, you just gave me exactly what I needed for my staff. I was trying to force them to jump the way that I wanted them to jump rather than finding the way 
that would help them understand more closely how to get where we wanted to go with the goal. And the reality is, folks, that whether it's ducks or birds or the sky or the river or rain or wind, creation shows us constantly that God is present. A second way that we know that God is present is through the Bible. It's through the Bible. Did you know that the central promise of the Bible is not, I will forgive you? That sounds kind of bad, doesn't it? That's not the central promise of the Bible. That promise is there, but it's not the main one. The central promise isn't even life after death. You're like, what? That's not the central promise? That promise is in the Bible, but it's not the central one. The most frequent promise in the Bible is this. I will be with you. Just over and over and over again in the Bible, it says, I will be with you. Before Adam and Eve ever sinned or needed forgiveness, there was a promise that God would be present. There's a guy by the name of Joshua who was an apprentice to this guy named Moses who parted the Red Sea and who had a burning bush that God was very close to. Moses wasn't allowed to bring the people to the promised land, but Joshua was. And after the people had been wandering for 40 days and 40 nights, the Bible says this. Let's read this one together, okay? Let's read it together. Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. And at the beginning of the journey... God wanted His people to know that He would be with them. God's with us in our worst times, our greatest difficulties. I mean, when there is a death of a loved one, or maybe we're dying ourselves, what we want to know is God present. And in Psalm 23, which is a beautiful psalm, in verse 4 it says this. Let's read it together. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. And friends, God is with you. No matter what, God is with you. In fact, Jesus himself, when he came to earth as God's one and only son, do you remember the name that he was given? The name was Emmanuel. We sang it earlier. You know what that word means, Emmanuel? It means God with us. In fact, the Bible says this, The Lord Himself will choose the sign, A child shall be born to a virgin, and they shall call Him Emmanuel, meaning God is with us. And in a few weeks, we're going to celebrate Jesus' birth. And more than anything, when God sent His Son from downstairs in heaven, uh, or from the upstairs in heaven downstairs to earth, He wanted everyone to know that I am with you. I am not this far-off, distant God, but I am present with you. God is with you, and God will save you. And then after Jesus lived, and He taught, and He died, and He rose again, He gives a last promise to the disciples and to us. His last words. Let's read these together. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. 
No matter where you are or what you're going through, God wants you to know that He is with you. I will be with you. I will be present. Christianity, unlike any other world religion, kind of puts its trump card at the fact that Jesus, God's one and only Son, came in the flesh of God. He was God. And He came to say that I am present here with you. Intimate. Close. In fact, I was thinking uh, this week, and uh, Bronson, if you can bring that up for me real quick. Uh, anybody know what this is? It's a blanket. But this isn't just any blanket. This is my daughter Jordan's blankie. You see, there is a difference between a blanket and a blankie, isn't there? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's like night and day difference, right? Now, growing up as a kid, my, uh, my three closest friends growing up always like to tell the story. Now, I didn't have a pink blanket. Some of you are, I know what you're thinking, all right? It was a manly, dark pink blanket, you know? <laughs> but my friends like to talk about the time that it was the first time I ever spent the night at their house. But the only way that I would go is if I brought my blankie. And you see, a blankie for a kid is the safest place, the safest thing they know to hold on to. When they're scared, when they're excited, when they're fearful, when they're not sure, they get a hold of this, and all of a sudden, there's a comfort and a security that happens there. And I was thinking about this week as... Jordan was holding on to this because there was uh, a moment where she was a little bit fearful of something. And she got a hold of her blanket and she put her thumb in her mouth and all of a sudden you could just see her calm down. But the reality is, folks, that God is our ultimate blanket. He's present all the time. When you need Him, when you're scared, when you're fearful, when you're not sure what to do, you go to Him and He is there as close as the blanket. And there have been times... In my life, in which I go to bed at night and I'm stressed out or I'm struggling, I'm just, just anxious about everything. And I'll just imagine that as I pull the covers upon me, that God is as close as that blanket that's around me. And God is always present and He's always acting, active in your life, whether you see Him or not. Here's the last thing. God is closer than you think. God is closer than you think. One of the most famous paintings in all the world is in the Sistine Chapel. It was painted by Michelangelo. And uh, we'll have a picture of it. And what you see to the left is, or to your, your right, my left, is portrayed God. And the person beside him is Adam. And God, if you see it closely, you can see that his body is twisted and tangled. Hold on just a second twisted and tangled, and it is reaching out as far as it can. It's reaching out as far as it possibly can. And God's finger, now we can go to the next one, is reaching out, and it's, his index finger is reaching out that way. And Adam's finger is down, pointed downward. And you can see that there is this gap between the two of them. And all Adam has to do is just lift his finger, and he will touch... God. But the question becomes, will he do that? 
You know, God is closer than you think, folks. He's as close as the narrowness of those two fingers reaching to each other. And the Bible says this, Here I stand at the door and knock. If you hear me calling and open the door, I will come in. God will not force His way in. He will not huff and puff and blow the door down. He will simply knock. And then you have the choice whether to open up or not. So practically, how do we do it? How do I get closer to God? If God is closer than I think, how do I do it? Well, if you would, I'd like you to pull out this uh, sheet right here. It's green, I think, for all of us. Or blue. (laughs) Any other colors? Color, color here. And just hold on to that for a second. But how do you get closer to God? Well, first of all, you receive Him. You receive Him. You receive Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. For some of you, you may be here for the first time. And you're thinking to yourself, you know what, Jesus, if I was to be honest this morning, it's not been working very well. And you just share the good, the bad, the ugly. You turn away from whatever sin that you know, and you turn towards God. And then you just believe that He will accept you, He will love you, He will accept you as is. All you have to do, though, is kind of like in that picture, you lift your finger up towards God, and He will accept you. He will receive you. Here's the second thing. You talk to Him. You receive Him, and then you talk to Him. Now, when we... Say we talk to God, what we're talking about is prayer. That's what prayer is. Simply talking and listening to God. Prayer is simply a conversation between you and God. Two friends. And many times people will come to me and say, Well, yeah, I pray, but I really don't know how to pray. Well, right here is a practical process of prayer. It's how the reflections of my heart, from my heart. And you can see there's an acronym kind of help you memorize it. H-E-A-R-T. The H stands for honor. You begin the prayer and you just honor who God is. You praise God for something. Maybe waking you up that morning, but you do. The E is you express who I'm not. You confess some sin. Whatever it is. All of us have something. And then A, you affirm who I am in you. How does God see you? That's the problem with many of us. When we're praying to God, we don't see ourselves the way that He sees. He sees you as His loving child who He constantly wants a relationship with. The R stands for request your will for me. Ask God for something. Ask Him. Again, He'll either say yes, no, or what? Wait. Not yet. And then the last one, T. Thank God for what He's done. I hope to thank you journal I gave you last week that you put some entries into that. And you do this and all of a sudden you get closer to God. Last thing is, you read about it. This book right here is not just any other book, but it's actually God's words that come out. And so you read about Him. Now for some of you, you've never read the Bible before and you're thinking to yourself, how would I even start? Well, we have a reading plan on the back of that sheet. Or you can do Mark in a month. We've done it here many times before, and I'm so convicted that it's important for you 
to understand God by just simply reading. And if you read Mark, you'll understand the teachings and the life of Jesus. And by the time that you get to 2010, you won't have to make a New Year's resolution about reading the Bible. You'll already be in it. And if you need a Bible, we have Bibles in the back. And for some of you, are like, well, I'm reading my Bible already. Great. Keep doing it. Some of you may have been able to receive Him. You talked to Him. You just haven't read about Him in a while. And there's other things in the back that you can read. Or you can go online to the JAR website and there's Journey Through the Bible. But I'm telling you, if God is not close in your life, maybe it's because you haven't listened to His words in a while. And it's so important that you do so. God tells us this, that this book is like food to our stomach. It provides energy to each of us. Well, I began with a road trip. And we're getting ready to go into the Christmas season. Many of you will either be on vacation or road trips. And I guess what I want to encourage you is that you get on a road trip with God. God is on a road trip right now to find you. He wants to grow you. If you've already been found, He wants to grow you in a deeper way. And you can't do that by yourself. You need people. That's why we talk about small groups here. And the importance of getting connected with folks. So that you can do life with Him. He wants to hang out with you. He wants to help you through the big stuff, the small stuff, the hard stuff, the easy stuff. Any stuff you have... He's there to help you through it. And the question is, just like in that painting, will you be willing to raise your finger and touch Him, receive Him, and will you grow deeper with Him? Will you raise a finger to connect with God today? Let's stand for closing prayer. God, thank You so much for being closer than we think. Thank You for not hiding from us, but being as close as our next breath. Help us today, God, to draw closer to You. Help us to receive You if we've never done that in our life. That just right now, we just... You can just say quietly to yourself, Jesus, I receive you today. And for some of us, God, maybe we just need to talk with you a little bit more. Or we just need to read about you. Help us this week, God, to make a commitment to connect with you more through this sheet. We'd really spend some time, even if it's just a couple of minutes a day, but each day we just kind of give some time to go deeper with you. And help us, God, as we enter this Christmas season, where there will be so much hustle and bustle and different things going on, that we would realize that the greatest thing we can receive this Christmas is knowing Emmanuel, the God who is with us, and that we would get closer to Him. We just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Have a great week. Know that you're loved in this place. If you'd like prayer for anything, come on up. Thanks.